0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another, hopefully amazing episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I am Scott Lease, one half of the team that brings you the Surf and Sales Summit along with the Surf and Sales podcast. Check us out at surfandsales.com. We've got six seats left. That's it, Richard. We're down to six seats available for Surf and Sales. How are you doing, Richard?
1: I'm good. I'm really, really good. I'm just trying to see. Oh, it's my note taker that's trying to join this meeting, which I don't need. So I'll I'll kick it out.
0: So we don't need any notes. We have a steel trap of memory. Yes. This is true. true. Richard Harris, everybody, the other half of the surfing sales team. We're going to spend some time today with what I believe is our first ever guest from Serbia. If uh, you are from Serbia and you have appeared on this show, we apologize, but we have forgotten. His name is uh, Milo Milosevic. He's from Belgrade, Serbia. He's the CEO and founder of Drive Sales and we're gonna welcome him in just a moment. But first, Richard's gonna share a little bit about our good friends and partners over at HubSpot.
1: All right, so thank you to HubSpot for for prompting me, uh, like AI, so I'm gonna prompt Scott to see which new hobby he'd like. Pottery, paddle boarding, or bread baking?
0: You had paddle boarding, obviously paddle boarding.
1: But you already know how to do that, right? So? So, A new hobby. So are you going to be a bread? Kite surfing. Okay, all right, kite surfing, there it is. All right. The reason I'm asking is because HubSpot, who's our sponsor, has uh, built in their AI tool into their uh, system, right? So they've got ChatSpot and things like that, and they can now actually do everything from helping you uh, create new content to understanding your data and reports and dashboards, uh, save you some time, you know, with your sales team and it's that extra save time that you get back based on the data when you use something like a good ai tool like um Hub- ai with hubspot that gives scott the ability to become a brand new bread maker so i'm really excited to taste this bread that scott makes even though he says he wants to be a kite surfer which i know he won't actually do he's too afraid so.
0: oh i i Okay, anybody listening who will take me kite surfing, this is something that I want to try. It's windy as hell in places like Central Texas where I can't do regular surfing all the time. And I don't know if they're surfing in Belgrade or not, but maybe there's a lake and maybe Milo can take me uh, kite surfing. And if I'm making bread, it has to be like grain-free, gluten-free bread because I can't eat normal bread. So I'm not really into the whole bread maker part. You know what I mean, Richard?
1: Yeah, you'll you'll put some other
0: creative herbs and spices in there, I know. Yeah, I might be able to do that. Milo Milosevic, everybody, CEO of Drive Sales. How's it going, man?
2: Honestly, it's going rather decent, but as of yesterday, I decided to mess my back up in the gym because I'm trying to recover from a knee. Yeah, know, surgery was a bit ago, but I was trying to recover so I could play soccer or football with the kid. That literally the only thing. Now I'm like going to therapy, and you know that the other than that, we'll be going, okay, so this will be my random intro. Probably not the best way to introduce myself.
1: Um, <laughs> you just sound like Scott.
0: Yeah. Something always hurts with Scott. Yeah, I was just gonna say, this is like super relatable content to, to old, good. old dads. We like, <laughs> yeah. Well, tell everybody a little bit about uh, Drive Sales and what you're working on, man.
2: Uh, yeah, so in a nutshell, we are building a software for moving companies globally that can operate their own, you know, own business from A to B, A to B. let's say like a hub budget, but specifically for moving companies that you can do leading, automate your workflow from a sales perspective, organize like dispatching process for the truck start in real time, how efficient the storage is when you, you input stuff in storage so you can find it, barcodes and all that good stuff. We're also pushing a couple of other things in, but basically trying to help moving companies globally streamline their business. Um, there's also a couple of other things mixed into it, but that's like I'm not sure what we're looking to build. I love building right now.
0: As you know, Richard, I love these like uh, platform plays in these quote-unquote unsexy industries. Totally like, agree. Yeah, I love I love it so much. Talk to me about the challenge of uh, having a product that can be sold globally. How did you first attack this? Did you sell in Serbia first and then expand out? Let's talk about that a little
2: bit. Yes. Yeah, so I've been in a company previously for six six odd years, building from ground up, right? Within the industry, moving moving space, right? So I've been a telemarketer. I've been literally whatever you name it, from calling people out of the blue and annoying the living crap out of them. And... Uh, to managing a 90% team, which i basically built and developed over the years, right? And I saw a big gap in the industry of what we needed. Uh, So I decided that I'm going to make a play to actually address the issue that I've seen firsthand. And the reason how I've done it is I've actually, as I mentioned, managed uh, 80-whatever-person operations and sales team. And majority of the stuff that that we've been doing was manual, which is crazy. Cause and then I thought, look, there has to be a better way to do this. And I just started building things that I wanted to have you know, that will allow me to book more business. Um, uh, so that's how it started, and everything was done, everything I've done was remotely doing it from Belgrade, Serbia. So I thought, why not start it here? And to just address the one point of the question is I've not I'm not selling anywhere in Serbia right now. So my software is literally. I would say virtually useless in Serbia, my main markets are US, Canada, UK, and then I'm going to expand elsewhere. But I've been selling into the US for, in Canada for quite a bit. That's,
0: that's, that's, this is like fascinating to me. Why is your software useless in Serbia?
2: Because the market is so small, the pricing wouldn't necessarily be the fit for this market. The moving storage industry in belgrade or in serbia isn't fully developed like it is in the countries that i've just mentioned so there isn't a significant need for the tools that we kind of offer so you still you still you know if you're in the industry you still have someone maybe you rent a truck which is like what 50 bucks maybe for the day and you have a couple of friends over and that's it you can still do obviously in the states but you wouldn't be driving cross country from chicago to I don't know, New York or LA to Boston, doesn't really matter, right? So it's the market is not so big for this topic, but there are huge players within the moving space in Belgrade that can actually have that deal with embassies that deal with high net worth individuals, but they already have their own operating system and they're just like a a cog in a wheel that was already built from like a bigger perspective from like an organization standpoint. Can you how did you wait wait wait, hold on
0: one more one more thing richard i'm going to actually ask richard this question richard can you think of another company that is based in one country and does not sell inside of that country I, i can't think of one at the moment
1: um yeah i well interestingly enough like my client telesign um they have la offices but they have a big serbian office um and I think there's a there's a decent amount of that happening out of Serbia because of the education of the of the people living there. Like I do know that about the market having been there. You know, it seems like the average person in Serbia speaks three languages. Right? They mm-hmm. speak the regular language, they speak English, and then they speak one other one. So that's a mm-hmm. a wealth of highly talented people you can do global. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, but no, I do not know any to answer your question. I don't. Um,
0: yeah, I find that fascinating. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: So my question is, when you're building this, and maybe it's because of, you know, sort of how you just sort of grew up in your career, how did you get product market fit in a country you're not really even in yet, right? Like, that's, <laughs> and, and, in a, and, I, and I'm asked, I think I'm even asking culturally, like, because it's very different to go from one place. You know, it's one thing when you've got a company and you're successful and you want to come into the US, you have some customer stories, right? When you're not based in the U.S. or maybe you have offices now, it, you know, are the, is the U.S. market, or, are we too skeptical of, of someone? Or is it, no, we start in the EU first and then we go to the, to the U.S.? Like, how do you figure out the product market fit?
2: So this might be like a special scenario with me, how I kind of ended up doing this, because I already knew. That there's a big gap in the space. There are some players in it. There were some investments and whatever, but no one has solved the issue that I personally have experienced while running that previous team before I started my own company. So I saw that irrespective, I was, irrespective of like building an MVP that is instantly, you know, taken by 50 clients, I just saw that it. If we build something that's worthwhile, and I have contacts within the industry now that I have through across a couple of years, and I, before I even decided to push this forward, I actually talked to all of the people and said, hey, look, would this sound like an interesting idea? Would you be interested in, in, you know, potentially being a client if something like this comes up? So I kind of talked to the my potential future customers to even see if there's any remote interest in what I am looking to build without being in the state. So, so it's, the it it's, it's the same thing.
1: It's the same. You've you done the same thing everybody does, which is you identify a gap in the marketplace and then you start talking to uh, people. It's yeah. just, I just, it, to me, it's fascinating that you're like, well, I'm not going to build it here. So I'll build it, you know, to sell into the US. Like, I just, that's really, that's great. I just, you know, I'm not that creative. I'm too old. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, look. I also think I'm too old when I go to the gym and all that stuff. I just see everybody else being a lot fitter and better looking than I am. I mean, better looking is not a hard thing when you look at me, but generally, you know. Well, this is why uh,
0: this is why we're all in inside sales, right? <laughs> so, uh, to how important do you think it is for the founder to be sort of the initial salesperson? Now you get a little bit of a cheat code because you have a sales background and an operations background and whatnot. But, you know, there's some people who are really, they have strong opinions, like the first seller has to be the founder. Even if the founder is like a total IT introvert who has no salesmanship or charisma whatsoever. And I'm like, I don't agree, I don't think I agree with that. Um, so I'm curious, like, what your stance is on the founder being the first seller and and how important that is.
2: Well, if for example, I as I'm a sole founder type of thing, I have partners, right, and they're great partners too, but I'm the the face pushing this forward. So if I had if I was a complete IT like tech person building this. And I had a partner that is sales oriented and can sell. I wouldn't necessarily mind, but even though that, as I believe, if you're a founder, you have to be able to talk about your product and to be able to kind of sell, or at least get it to someone else to get to spark interest so someone else can take over that has more, let's say, skill or is more versed in selling. So my opinion is that. I do kind of think that you have to have the ability to at least interest someone in what you're doing, not necessarily get a customer in, but maybe like pass it on. For example, if I don't know anything, I just, I can pass it on to you, Scott. If you're a friend or a partner that can handle, I do to build this stuff out. All
1: right. I got it. So Scott, am I hearing you correct that you don't think the founder should be doing sales? Or are you saying that there needs to be a co-founder who handles the business side while the other founder is the tech side?
0: I'm suggesting that whether it's a single founder or two co founders, if one of those people has the personality of paint drying on the wall, as well as strong aversion to selling and devoid of skill set, that it is not necessarily super important for them to be the first seller, which I'm starting to realize is a bit of a controversial hot take. Yeah, I just, I, mean. think, I just think to myself, Well, I was literally the first seller for a company that is now worth billions of dollars. The founder didn't sell any, didn't close any deals directly. And then I think to the company before that, the founder didn't sell any of those uh, clients. And then I'm thinking out of of the six companies that I was ahead of sales at, I think that uh, only I think half of them, the founder did any selling. You and I worked at a company where the founder did not sell anything, Richard. Mm No, no, he just did. So do I think it's mandatory? No, I don't think it's mandatory. Do I think it's better? Yes, I think it's better, but I don't think it's mandatory.
2: So question for you, actually, for both of you guys. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you have that founder. So you you guys worked for a founder that hasn't sold anything. How big was that company?
0: Well, we, we went from zero to like $17 million in revenue in 18 months. And we had, I don't know, 150 to 200 salespeople. It it got real big, real fast. And then we basically plateaued and imploded.
1: We'd say we imploded, which caused our plat. Like it was almost like, it was crazy. It was, it was like, you know. Yeah. It, it wasn't as bad as the show telemarketer, which I'm trying to get Scott to watch. Free plug for those guys. But uh, <laughs> it was pretty close to like the scenario of, of a it was an inside sales group that felt like a call center, um, having run both
0: of those. Uh so yeah, it was it was a bit nutty. Um but yeah. it wasn't mandatory that this person sold. So yeah, yeah. No but it would have been helpful, I think. You think it's a whole other yes, story. yes of course I think. I think it's super, I think it helps a ton. The founder then knows some of the pain that the salespeople go through. They understand more of the pain that the uh, prospects- well, I was, just,
1: I was just talking about this particular founder because I don't think he, I think he would have thought it was beneath him.
0: Well, that's my point is that some people are just not built for it. Yeah. And I think that that's okay in some scenarios. Why, but, don't, we, why don't we go back to talking to our guests instead of each other? <laughs> yeah, well you asked me the question
1: so talk to us a little bit about um you know because you're global right and are there really cultural differences when you sell to different parts of the world or is because i have this belief that how you say it kind of matters but everybody's pretty okay with just being straight up and honest about it it right? doesn't mean you walk in and say here it is here's the value here's the price buy it there certainly always needs to be a human to human conversation is it really that different though selling to germany or france or the uk or america like what do you think
2: based on my experience i it as long as you're able to communicate well enough I don't necessarily think there's a huge gap in like, oh my like God, I, I can't sell into Germany because the cultural gap is a huge difference. If, for example, when I sell into the States, it helps to know the NFL teams, to know the colleges, it helps, but that is literally not the thing that will make me sell or someone buy from you know, what I'm selling. It helps, oh, we're, we're great friends, but at the end of the day, that doesn't mean they will buy. So I don't particularly think there is a huge problem into selling like globally if you have the skill set or, you know, if we're just like, let's say you are a salesperson, has the knowledge the skill set and everything else to be, to deliver in a country, that means you should potentially be able to deliver in all the countries. Obviously, there are like some nuances culturally, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I'm hearing you, it's it's how do I find a connection with that person in a different country, right? It could be sports, it could be talking about relevant topics, it could be all kinds of things. And establishing that piece, which is the same thing here in the states, is is usually the best first step. The challenge, I think the challenge is a lot of people think that, well, I don't know how to establish rapport with someone in America or someone in France or Germany or you know uh, or serbia like I, I don't know anything about people like that i was like well dude there's the internet like you know get on you know get, get figure it out you know um so I was I'm, I'm curious you're one of the you're one of the few people i've talked to who's like yeah it really just has to do with like how you communicate with them more than anything so i'm I'm refreshed by your answer there yeah so. that's
2: my, that's my opinion at least and then you know does not necessarily think um, I would be right for any country that the person tries to sell in due to whatever. Yep. But on uh, a general, generally speaking, I think it's just how you present yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna, we're going to take a quick break and give Scott a, a second to uh, come up with a brilliant question, one that's going to blow the audience's mind while I uh, give a shout out to our good friend, uh, Mr. Mark Roberge um, and his podcast, The Science of Scaling. If you don't know Mark, which I'd be shocked if you're in SaaS sales and don't know who Mark Roberge is. Uh, He was the founding CRO at HubSpot. He's a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School and co-founder of Stage 2 Capital. And he's got this amazing podcast called The Science of Scaling, where he brings in other founders and tech leaders and sales leaders to talk about their strategies and secrets and tactics to scale the company growth. So when you're looking for that place, that's going to bring the high-level knowledge of someone who's been there and done that by the host, and then someone who's there now and doing it now, the guest, uh, be sure to check out the Science of Scaling hosted by Mark Roberge on the HubSpot Podcast Network. All right, Scott, what is the brilliance that you were going to blow us all the way
0: with? Well, for anybody watching on YouTube, there is, a, I believe, a Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute uh, figuring above Milo's head right now. So yeah. my question is, which one of those characters is your favorite, and why?
2: Uh, I would have to go with Michael. I think I would have to go with Michael. It's a tough question, though. I, I the reason why is just like regardless of the circumstances, he just had like, figures out of the way and keeps and keep figuring things out, in there, whether it's falling into place by happenstance, but like he just figures things out. and just keeps rolling and succeeding in the business like he he was doing so i don't know
0: i enjoy it so it kind of reminds me of you richard just succeeding in spite of yourself over and over and over again
1: dude i succeed so that you can succeed better than me i (laughs) can make sure that god does better
0: oh okay back to a real question when you sell to these kind of um as I refer to them all the time, these unsexy kind of industries like moving companies and whatnot, and you're selling a platform, you're trying to take an industry and a company that has probably been a late adopter, if an adopter at all, of technology. So give us a couple of good tips for those people out there who might be in a similar situation. How do you get late adopters to adapt new technology and kind of modernize how they've been doing business?
2: So in an industry such as moving, right? And I'm going to assume that this could be with other unsexy, like the unsexy industries. It, a bunch of it is referrals and getting in front of people. So for example, if you don't, even let's say you don't know anybody in the industry, right? a person's finding and talking to someone from the industry that you're looking to attack, getting feedback from them. And the second thing is when you have a customer I just I I generally see people failing to ask for referrals all the time. I just tell them, look, just talk to me. You don't have to buy anything from me. I'm not selling. I want your feedback. One of the things that I'm looking to do, for example, as a bunch of these companies that I speak with, they still use software that look like I'm not joking that they were built in the nineties. Oh, and I believe. I, yeah, and the thing is, I do this. Look, you know, I don't want you to buy anything from me right now. I'm looking for feedback to tell me where I'm where I'm going wrong, so you can so I can fix it for other people who might be interested. So, and if they get on the call, and and now I'm, I'm I have them to as a, let's say a thought leader to help me build my thing. Their opinion is valuable, which it is to me specifically. Then it's a different ballgame when they see what we're building, when they see and hear the vision that will, could turn them slowly into a custom, oh, we will absolutely love this, when can we test it? But you just have to refrain it from like, oh, let me show you what I got, I'm super awesome, I'm the best thing to slice bread, versus help me get this to where it can potentially help you in the future, type of positioning.
0: Yeah, sounds to me like uh, you're talking about referral selling and network led growth and community growth sounds very similar to that
2: it could be it could be uh um, well you're at you're asking for
0: you're asking for referrals oh you're soft, it's, it's, you're soft selling your your way in uh-huh. rather than it sounds like rather than sending a million emails or making a million phone calls or maybe you're doing both
2: i do both i was just i, I absolutely do both i call call every single day i got Hung up a million times. I even got hung up today a bunch of times. I do cold emails. I do. Uh, but the ref- no. but the
0: referral strategy is working better for you, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. I, I don't I totally. This is the thing. It's kind of funny. I don't know if I would say it's working better, but based on a sample size that I have, which is not extremely huge, right? It both will work, but. At the end of the day, it just comes down to if you caught the right person at the right moment to have a chat with you, Uh, whatever that may be.
1: Yeah, I think, I think, um, and I like this approach too. Like I, I, I call it sort of the, Hey, we're conducting interviews or, Hey, I'm doing some research. I promise this is not a sales call, right? That kind of stuff. And um even if someone doesn't respond, you, you generally haven't offended them because you've told them you're not trying to sell them. And in that first conversation, you're not. You're just trying to tell me. And then, which then, you know, for you as the as the founder or the salesperson, you're just getting great market feedback. Maybe you'll sell them in six months. Maybe you'll sell them. So it's a, it's a much wiser long tail play, um, I think, um, particularly when you're going down that to the one Scott was talking about, the laggards. Right, like, how do you get to the laggards? A, a referral in, or B, you know, they have been around for thirty years. Ask them some questions. Let them be the expert. Feed their ego. It's what I do with Scott every day. <laughs> oh, buddy, they're just too easy for me these days, buddy. It's softball. It's a softball. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do like that approach. I think I think it's a really wise and smart approach. I also, and let me ask you this, when you do that, or here's the thing, Scott, I don't know if you've ever talked about it. The cool thing about a referral sale is even if you don't get a deal out of it, as a salesperson, you feel clean coming out of it because usually you learn something, right? Usually you're getting some feedback that maybe you haven't heard, or maybe you're getting feedback that confirms what you need and you're just planting a seed with that part. So there's no sort of you know.
0: Well, there's also the exhaustion or mental anguish factor, yeah. right? I mean, you make 100 cold calls and you get hung up on a bunch, like that can be exhausting. You know, you have a bunch of phone calls all day long from referrals. I don't think you're as drained emotionally at the end of the day.
2: Yep. You're not, you're not, you're not.
0: Yeah. So it's sort of like if both strategies are are equal, which one maybe makes the most sense, it could be the one that uh, keeps, keeps you the most mentally sound, right? But to Milo's point, you got to do everything because you just never know, you know, you never know what channel somebody prefers. You never know. You call somebody, you just happen to get them at the right time, all that kind of thing. So it is still wise to do everything. I just love that he's... Focusing on um you know some referral kind of methodologies and whatnot. So we're uh <clears throat> brushing up towards the end of the show here. So we told you at the beginning we were gonna give you a chance to ask us a couple questions. Uh if there's anything on your mind, how we can be helpful to you. So what do you got for us?
2: So there's a couple of things actually. If if for whatever reason, actually this is a bad segue, but There's two things. One thing is, if down the line, I can ping you guys for an opinion on what I can improve at my company, would you be opposed to that? That's one thing.
1: That's an easy one. In fact, we could make it happen in November when you come to Surf & Sales, because we do this beach challenge where we have one of the guests come and you actually get to ask everybody there for advice. You break a group into two teams, you present your business problem, you get feedback like from two consulting groups. So yes, come to Surf and, Sales and for sure, you'll get even more than just Scott and I, which is probably better anyway.
2: That's that's a good one, by the way. That, that's a great answer, sir. You can check that's out more at <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Man, you,
0: you know, I tell, I'll say what I say to everybody. <clears throat> I will answer any question that is sent to me that is not spam or... You know, do you want to have a franchise opportunity somewhere? Anybody who comes to me with a genuine question and and is, sends me a note, like, yes, I respond 100% of the time. Okay.
2: Cool. Second, that, that's great to know. And I will pick you up on it. Uh, second thing is, let's say that you are putting in place your sales team, right? The talent in the state is very used to talent. The talent in Serbia, for example, where I'm currently located that is all about customer service, generally speaking. What would be, if you had to set up a sales team here, what would be, in terms of setting up your playbook, what would be the first thing to focus on in terms of how to get these people to be Proper hunters and not afraid of call calls and all that stuff. The
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead, Richard. I'll let you go first.
1: So there's a couple things. One's a chicken and an egg, uh, or I mean, sorry, not one. It's a little bit of a chicken and egg. The first thing is, I'd want to make sure that I had a decent outline of what I want that role and responsibility to be, right? And you know not necessarily this many calls that many days, but maybe, right. Something. That, and I want to know what, how am I going to train these people? Right. Like what content, not necessarily do you have to have it all written out, but I need to teach them how to do cold calls. I need to teach them, to do openers. I need to teach them to do I got like, just know what you got to teach them because then you can start to think about the persona. Um, then I would also look at the market to see who does have salespeople there. And I'd start you know casually reaching out to them um and then again you know you're still looking for the same kind of people that are motivated the same way that are they money motivated you know often how competitive are they you know are they willing to take are they risk takers I meaning are they willing to risk going from a customer service role where they're answering calls to a sales role where they're making calls right all those kind of things to me feel like the pieces that you have to put into play um And I wouldn't say that one is more important than the other at this stage. If you're just starting, I think it's just, you got to start putting these things down on paper to get to it. But Scott may, Scott's a little closer to the stuff than I am usually. So he may have a a, a stronger opinion.
0: Well, it starts with finding the right people. So the first thing I do is I take a look at my kind of ideal hiring profile and put in... in place my interview process and screening and scorecards and all this kind of stuff then from a training and onboarding perspective um i've got to do that right so i can't rush people onto the phone you know the very first sales job i ever had i had four hours of training and then it was have fun go go at it uh i don't think you want to do that you got four hours yeah four whole hours that was like that like that was like an undergraduate degree (laughs) at at u of a at u of a it was an undergrad degree not at asu or university of virginia where milo went uh but it's got to be the right training right so i've got to train them on the um the industry the product the pitch the process all this kind of stuff because the next thing that's important is the right mindset and they need confidence and that confidence for a lot of people comes from being prepared and you prepare somebody through the right training so then I'm going to have a whole like mindset kind of segment where we're trying to work on this shift from going from servicey to kind of salesy and from passive to more of a hunter and that kind of thing. And then it's the right message. It's making sure that they're enabled with the right type of, you know, scripts for email or phone or whatever, that they know what they're supposed to say and then they can role play it over and over. And it's the right approach. It's not like, too aggressive it's not you know too passive it's not over explaining everything and i and, I, and you know if i'm trying to am- answer this as simply as possible that's what i've got for you get the right people onboard them the right way work on their their mindset and then get them practicing uh the right message simple that yeah,
2: makes sense yeah sounds super simple yeah sounds simple when you say it. yeah super simple but I'm not sure if we have time for another like real yes. quick. Yeah let's, question. yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. One more. Yeah. Question is let's say that you're hiring a salesperson. What would be your go-to question in an interview class screening process?
0: Go-to question for hiring yeah. an AE, right?
2: Yeah, an AE. Yeah, AE. Yeah.
0: It's been, it's been a number of years since we interviewed somebody. Richard, what would your go-to question be? I mean, there's point? always there's always a couple of them. Um, no, no no you can't don't give one that he's heard before. Okay. Um
1: one that I would go to um, is do you eat fast or slow?
0: What what kind of question is this?
1: Well, Scott, do you eat fast or slow?
0: I eat fast, which is not good for you.
1: Right. But for salespeople, that's a built-in sense of urgency.
0: Oh, I see where you're going. Right? See like, where you're you,
1: going. like, you know, my kids, right? Bodhi eats fast, Scott. Riley eats slow.
0: Yes. Right. That would, that would make sense. You yeah. can't
1: teach urgency.
0: Yeah. So Richard, yeah. Milo, Richard is advocating for you to hire people who are going to end up with heartburn is basically <laughs> what I hear, is what I hear. uh my go-to question i don't know what my go-to question would be um something something it's it's always for me got to be something around like why are you willing to do x now when all the rest of your life you haven't been willing to do that thing like what's different now because I'm looking for people who are trying to change their sort of status and position in life and their and their career. Um, and everybody's probably trying to sort of say the same thing, oh yeah, I wanna be rich and famous or whatever, but it's like, okay, well, why are you willing to do whatever it takes now but you weren't yesterday and the job before that and whatnot? I, I always like to see people's answer to that type of question.
2: How's that? Good, good, good. I like it. I like it. I like it. Good. All
1: right, buddy. What's your What's your go to question now? What do you use?
2: Mine. Oh, I absolutely love this. I tell them, tell me a story. You can make it up about anything, within at least two minutes, at most two minutes. Story about anything, literally anything. I, okay. I give them no. Yeah, I give them no fillers. I give them no information in terms of I don't because I want to just see how they think on their feet, in mm. the improv, how they actually relate the message. So you, you can get, oh, I woke up today, I went to work, I was at work doing this for X amount of hours, and then I went out with my friend. And then you have some creative answers that will just be completely offset. And then that way you can actually see who you're interacting with and if they can actually think on their feet while they're on a sales call, for example. And highly improv. That's like I I I like to use in my interview process.
0: All right, well, there you have it, folks. Milo, where can everybody get a hold of you, man?
2: Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh Milovan Milosevic or Milosevic, whatever you can type this in. DriveSales.com. Uh, I also do a podcast with moving companies, which you two don't specifically fit. Uh, for profile. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn generally. That's the only social network that I use. And that will be it.
0: All right. Thanks all so right. much. A special shout out to our friend, Beck Holland, who uh, got kind of brokered this arrangement and got uh, Milo to join us on the Surf and Sales podcast today. We'll see you
2: all next time. Have a good one. See you, everybody. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, all. Thanks, Beck.